The man who always had his foot in his mouth, always said the dumb things, was called Satan by Jesus. No, there, there's a disciple for you. He denied Jesus. It's hard. It's hard to be Jesus' rock. People don't understand the pressure. Anyways, the time is short, and that's why I'm here. I feel that things are getting worse by the day. I feel that my time is near. And this is my last chance to share with you the story of Jesus. Now, I know you've all heard, whether from Mark or from myself or the other disciples, that the different stories and parables and miracles that Jesus had worked. But we have not yet put it all together in one for you. And because the time is short, because my time is very short, I thought that it is time that I go to all the churches in Rome and I begin to share with each assembly the final words. These are my last words that I can share. I fear that the fires that broke out this summer in our city are not adequately put out. Yeah, the flames, the flames are done burning. But they've only sparked a new flame. And Nero has harnessed, our emperor Nero has harnessed this flame. And he is striking it and it is igniting in the church. My friends in high places have warned me for some time now. That there are many in the upper ranks that can't stand the way. And they want to rid us. We don't worship the emperor. We don't recognize all the gods. They call us atheists. We don't participate in all the social events. Because, frankly, they're all dedicated to the gods. And we're just not about that. We're about Jesus. And so we're unsocial. And there are, there are people up next to Nero himself, my friends tell me, that are telling him that we are a plague to the Roman Empire and that we must be exterminated. And so, yes, the rumor that you've heard and the rumor that I've heard is definitely true. That Nero is blaming the fires last summer on us. So, dear flock... Fear not. The one who told me to feed his sheep will take care of us. Fiery trials await, but they will be for the purification, the testing of our faith. Therefore, I feel as a leader of many of our assemblies in Rome that my time, my head is a target and that my time is very near. This might even be my last words with you. So, the good news in all this is that Mark, my disciple, and I were working on a new book. We decided that it's time, because of the great danger that we're all about to walk into, that it is time that the stories that we've been telling and preaching to you about Jesus, that they be put in writing, that you can hold them and read them and help to persevere and endurance in the tough times when the fiery trial does come and the flames do kick up and we're thrown into the beasts in the arena and our heads are beheaded. Mark and I want to leave a legacy that will encourage you that will help us to walk the way when many are against it and try to knock us off of the way of God. So, well, Mark is going to have much to put in writing. I thought that with my last words with you, I would tell you the story as I remember it.
So it all begins. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Our prophets spoke. Behold, I am sending my messenger before you to prepare my way. And then Isaiah added on to that and said, A voice thunders in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. And this messenger appeared in the wilderness by the Jordan River. The very place where the way began. When God delivered our ancestors from Egypt and walked us through on his way through the wilderness to a promised land. This is where the messenger of the way, John, this is where he went out and declared and said, we've all wandered from the way, repent and turn back, come back to the way of God. He wants to bless us. He wants to lead us into his salvation return. And as the people heard him and I went out there too, this was a big deal. John was the man. And we all went out there and he beckoned us to cross through the Jordan River in a baptism. And by crossing through the Jordan River, we were saying, yes, we're joining with our ancestors in entering into God's promised land. We want to walk in his way. We want to go back to the wilderness where we went astray and we're going to follow him on the way. And John was powerful and he had a beard worse than mine. And his, his skin was baked tan like leather in the sun, just red and dark and tan and dirty, dirt grimed in his wrinkles from constant squinting in the bright wilderness sun. And he had a diet, a strange diet of locusts and honey. And often it didn't cause for a pleasant appearance for honey would get encrusted in his beard and then locust legs would get stuck in there. He was a sight to see, and I swear that most people went out just to look at him than they did to actually hear him. But nonetheless, it had its desired effect. And many, many were beginning to look for the way. And I was too. And then, that was when I first saw him. Jesus. He came up to John And John baptized him and he got out and just kept walking out into the wilderness. I didn't see him for a couple of days. And then in town, I saw him and he was talking, preaching really. And he was saying things about the time is here. The way of God is being paved and I'm calling you to follow him on it. So repent and others return and come back to the way that we've all left. And he was preaching these things and something about the way he was talking just caught my heart. And, and I heard it and I said, he does not talk like the rest. He actually talks like John. And then few days pass and my brother and I, Andrew, we were in our fishing boat. We were fishermen by trade and we were fishing is hard work. You get up extremely early before anybody gets up before the sun and you're working in the dark hours and then you go back at it at nighttime and the nets are a pain to clean A lot of hauling in water and fish and other junk that isn't really edible. And then what we catch, we don't even get to keep for ourselves. Not all of it, at least. Some of it we obviously have to sell to make money. Some of it we get to eat. But a huge load of it goes to the tax collectors. They would sit there by the lake and demand a certain revenue from us. Why? Because Herod owned the lake. And we had to pay Herod to fish on the lake we lived at because he said it's his lake. Tax collectors, traders. So we were, the sun wasn't even up and we were hauling in our catch. We were extremely tired and I heard it. I heard the voice that I heard before, the voice preaching in the town. And he said, follow me. And as Andrew and I are pulling up the net, we look at each other like, who in their right mind is up right now? 
on the shore. It's not time to get a tan. And we're pulling it in and I hear, are you going to follow me or what? We look at each other, shrug, turn around and there he is. The man I saw preaching in town is on the shore and he's, he's calling us over. Now, we had immediate hesitations. You see, rabbis, these teachers, I wasn't really fond of them because they reminded me of my failure. I followed them as a young lad like we all did. But it soon turned out that I was not quite as brilliant as the rest of my peers. And I was singled out. That's why I'm a fisher. I wasn't fit to be a rabbi's disciple. So I went back, did what every other failure did, go back to your father's job. And that's why I'm laboring away. So I see him, this rabbi. These religious folk. And then secondly, we had so much work to do with the taxes to Rome and the tribute to Caesar uh, and the payments to uh, Herod. And then feed our own families. Um, But then Andrew said to me, when's the last time, Peter? When's the last time a religious person ever sought us out? You're right. So we got out of the boat and we followed him and we started to walk around. What are we getting ourselves into? And then James and John, our partners up the shore, lifelong friends we were, uh, we were glad to see them join. And so the four of us with Jesus, we start walking around and we're trying to figure this whole thing out. Like, we're following him. What does this mean? (laughs) We're going to be religious leaders now. Woo! Top of the societal ladder. Well, the Sabbath came and we went into a synagogue. And there, we were amazed to hear Jesus speaking and teaching Again, like I said, something about the heart beat with the words. And he didn't talk like the rest. The rest would talk about the law of God as something to sort of hold over our heads and threaten us with. And tell us, this is how it ought to be. And this is where you belong. And this is where you should go. And this is how you should behave on the Sabbath. And they would quote one another. And they just, it was just a lot of heady stuff. I'm like, come on, I'm a fisherman. I don't read anything but water and waves. But Jesus wasn't like that. He told stories. Jesus made it make sense. Jesus also talked as if he knew what the law was for. Not to pressure us to behave a certain way or to keep us in a certain place. But that it was designed to lead us to know God. And for the betterment of our own lives. He spoke from it as if... Now, I would truly believe this had we been hearing him 2,000 years ago around the time of Moses, but he, he really spoke as if he himself received this law from God, as if he was Moses, as if he was the author. We're on the edge of our seat, and I looked around the synagogue, and everybody's hanging on his words. And then something happened immediately. I didn't even notice this guy. He was sitting in the corner of the synagogue. I, I, I try to avoid those nooks and crannies. That's where the weirdos hang out. And he leaps over the benches and into the middle of the synagogue where Jesus is. And he starts shrieking and convulsing and cursing profanities. Things that ought not to be said in the synagogue. And then Jesus lets him have his say. And then finally, when he's all done, he says, is that it? Out. And we're all shocked. You're kicking this man out? But he wasn't. He was kicking the demon out of the man. Something we never even thought was possible. And then the guy convulsed and he shook around and he was violent. And suddenly there was peace and he was still. And he stood up and smiled. And we were amazed. And we said, who is this? Demons obey him. And then it occurred to me. If he can do this to demons. What can he do with disease? So I invited Jesus over to my house right after that. My mother-in-law was sick. And if she was a pain while she was awake. She was worse when she was sick. 
So he comes over and I'm, let's see what he's got. And Jesus touches her, grabs her by the hand. She gets up and we're all, yeah, I can do that too. Make someone stand up. No big deal. But then I knew it was a miracle because she started to make us dinner. And we looked at Jesus and we were in awe. He even makes mother-in-laws make dinner for us. And as we were eating, people began to wander by. And they knew that my mother-in-law was sick. It was going around town. It was pretty bad fever she had. And people were ducking their head and going, Hey, you're, you're awake. You're alive. You're healed. Look at this. Can we have a bite? And people would come in and go. And then sooner or later, though, Jesus noticed that people coming in had problems. They either were possessed by demons or they were sick. They, they had a disease or some sort of ailment. And so gradually, as the night wore on and dinner was over, he began to invite these people in. And one thing led to another, a, heal, a healing there, a casting out of a demon there. And word got out, and it's getting towards midnight, and we're thinking about going to bed. But soon, there's, there's a line slowly developing at the door of my house. And I'm thinking, I just want to go to bed. We've got dishes to clean. But they're lining up at my house. And Jesus begins to heal them one by one. And many kept coming. And then it was over and we were exhausted. We went to bed. We got up the next morning and my wife said, Peter, there is a throng of people outside the door. What do I do with them? Ah, what was going on? I crack open the door and I look out and everybody is saying, heal us, help us, heal us. And I shut the door. I'm like, I can't do this. What is going on? Where's Jesus? Andrew, where's Jesus? James, John, where's Jesus? I don't know. I'm just waking up. I want breakfast. I can't even think with my stomach angry. And we're all looking around for him. And eventually this is getting bad. People are lining up. And then it dawned on me. Oh my gosh. When Jesus told me to follow him and said that he'll make us fishers of men. Is this what he meant? That we would begin to fish people to my house. He would heal them and we would become rich. Suddenly I wasn't bothered. But we got to find Jesus. So we, we went scampering about. We'll be right back, people. And we go outside of the village. It took us a whole hour. And there he is out in the wilderness, the plains. He's all alone. And Jesus, there you are. Oh, thank goodness. We've been looking everywhere for you. You ready to get to work? And I'm thinking bucks here. And Jesus says, oh, I'm glad you finally got out of bed and you found me. You ready to go? Absolutely. Let's go. So we go. Us towards Capernaum, my house. Jesus, you're walking the wrong way. Jesus, come back here. And he turns to us and says, I must go to other towns also. It was for this purpose that I was sent. I have a lot of money at my door right now. And then it hit me. And not for the first, for the first time and not for the last time that I was a very low, a very small person. Here, I had been thinking about using people and using Jesus's power for my own empowerment. And he only saw they need liberation. I will heal them and I will move on. I've changed a lot since then. Well, from there, we began to walk around and to other towns and did the same thing and healed people, freed people from demons and diseases. And then we came back to my house at Capernaum after a few weeks. And when we came back, word got out, Jesus is back. And now word of him has spread. It wasn't just the sick and the hurting coming. It was the religious leaders. They showed up at my house. They never even knew who I, I was surprised they knew where I lived. Never talked to me, but here they are. They're all sitting on my sofa They're eating from my pantry. 
And then the rest of the town is piling in with them. And Jesus is in there and he's just letting them all in. And I look at my wife and I know what she's thinking. And there's feet on the sofa there and the rug is getting dirty there. Someone's muddy sandal is actually on the coffee table. And people are just everywhere. And our pantries run dry. Their dishes are everywhere and used. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. And nobody even asked. Nobody even said please or thank you. And I'm sitting there huffing and puffing. And Jesus is talking away. And I have no idea what he's even saying. Something like he says all the time. And I'm just thinking, oh, this is so rude. This is so mean. This is, a, this is my house. Who does he think he is? Who do these people think they are? And then we all stopped listening and Jesus stopped talking because there was a scratching sound on the roof. And there were voices. I didn't like this one bit. Particles began to fall down. Jesus begins to look up and he's smiling. And I'm thinking, oh Lord, I don't want to spend another Sabbath fixing that roof. And then it opens up and daylight pours in. And four heads silhouetted by the sunlight are peeping in. No, sorry, excuse us, we'll fix that later. No, may we come in, just lower the guy down on the stretcher. Easy now, there he goes. Jesus, heal him, please. And Jesus just smiles. He laughs, actually. While I'm freaking out about this, he is actually admiring their courage, their persistence. He he kneels down and he touches this paralytic Son, your sins are forgiven. A murmur wove throughout the front row where the religious leaders were circled around him. And elbows were nudged as the saying, did you hear that? Did you hear that? He blasphemed. Jesus stood up and eyed all of them. Which is harder to say. Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. But that you, religious leaders, might know that I have authority to do both. I say to you, get up and walk. And the man timidly began to try as if he wasn't sure. And slowly he was able to get up to his feet. And then he took one step and people gasped. He took another step and people applauded. He took a third and people were cheering. And I was murmuring and grumbling. And then he got up and he started to move around. And everybody's so happy. And the people in the house parted like the Red Sea and let him out at the door. And as he got out the door, he let out a woohoo and ran down. And we heard him singing and he was gone. And everybody was clapping and applauding. The religious leaders were grim and upset. And I, not for the last time, was feeling very small. Well, we then had a trip down the lake again, and there was one of the tax collectors that took my fish. His name was Levi. Jesus said, hey, follow us. And we groaned when he did. And Jesus sensed it. He knew. So what does he do? He plans a dinner at Levi's house with all his other tax collector friends. As if to say, you're going to learn to like them. (laughs) Uh Well, as we're sitting there and they're eating and Jesus is laughing and telling stories and they're exchanging jokes and stuff. James, John, Andrew, and I, we sit there pecking at our food, not really wanting to associate with this because we knew what was going on. And the religious leaders were outside the window. And one of them tapped on it and said, Peter, why does your rabbi eat with such sinners and tax collectors? And I was about to tell him, thankful to vent to someone that understands my predicament, that I was wondering the same thing. But before I opened my mouth, Jesus spoke up. It is not the well who need a doctor. It is the sick. I came not for the righteous, but the sinner. And I slowly leaned back the other way as if I had nothing to do with that. (laughs) And I felt very poorly. And I got the hint. 
These people at the table are more righteous than I am. Though they're sinners. So we began to eat. And we began to enjoy the company. We got to know them. And as we're eating and as we're feasting, more religious leaders come by. And they say, Does not John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples, do they not fast? So then, why do you guys and Jesus not fast? And Jesus said, Do you fast during a wedding or after? Do you put a piece of unshrunken cloth on a shrunken garment? No. Do you put new wine in old wineskins? You'll lose the wine. The wineskin will burst. And then Jesus looked at the religious leaders. And he pointed out himself and said, New wine belongs. And then sweeping his hand across the people at the table with them. Belongs in new wineskins. And I realized what he was saying. The religious leaders I respected and feared are the old wineskins. And they are not cut out for the way of God. Well, more conflict happened. Two events on the Sabbath. One, we're walking through the field and eating grain. And they, blah, 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 you can't do that on the Sabbath. And I began to get Jesus' heart. He told them, you use the Sabbath to enslave people, but the Sabbath was meant to serve people. And I got it. I got what he's doing. I understood. He's freeing us. And then there's another time in the Sabbath, and he's teaching in the synagogue, and a man with a withered hand comes up, and they're all eyeing him. He's not going to do it on the Sabbath. He's not going to do it. And Jesus takes the man with the withered hand and eyes at them angrily. I've never seen such fierceness, such ferocity, such controlled power. And he says, What is the Sabbath for? To kill or to give life? Stretch out your hand. And the hand was made whole. And the religious leaders walked out immediately. And I saw them snickering and murmuring with the Herodians. That's that's Herod's little minions. I can't stand them. They were plotting to kill him. Well, stuff like this continued, and we went around, and Jesus kept freeing people from the Torah, from religion, from diseases, and from demons, and all this kept happening. And then in the midst of all this, he calls us to himself. Our following, as you can imagine, has really grown at this point. Many have been walking around with Jesus, ooing and aahing and listening to his teaching. And at this moment, he called us around, and he said, I'm picking 12 of you to be my main disciples that I'm going to invest in. And he chose us, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thaddeus, Thomas, Simon, not me, another Simon, I know it gets confusing, James, other James, and Judas, the one who betrayed him. And then, of course, me. And to clear up this confusion, James and James, Simon and Simon, that's when Jesus started to call me Peter. It means rock. That's a hard nickname to live up to. Stop laughing at me when you read the Bible. And start sympathizing. James and John got cool nicknames that were less threatening, like thunder and lightning. Anyways, at that moment, the religious leaders come up again. It was right after Jesus sent a demon packing away from some poor person. And they said, listen up, crowds, because the crowd is pretty big at this point. Listen up. It is by the prince of the demons that this man, Jesus, casts out demons. Oh, and everybody looks at Jesus. What's he going to say to that? And Jesus goes... (laughs) Fine logic indeed, isn't it? They tell us that I am casting Satan out by Satan's power. What house can fight against itself and not collapse? Fine logic indeed. No, rather I tell you that if you want 
to take the goods from a man's house, you have to first bind the man and then you're free to go and plunder the goods in his house. That's what I'm doing. All sin, all sin will be forgiven of all people. Every single one. Except for theirs. I'm with him. and <laughs> We move on. That was a brilliant piece of work he did with them. And then he began to speak in parables at that point because he told us this. Listen, this, this is the way is for those that see it and not for those that don't. I'm doing this to conceal it from those who are against me and reveal it to you who are for me. And it was really brilliant because it really got us talking all the time. It wasn't just blah, 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 like, oh, yeah, we know. That's cool. Yeah, maybe we'll apply that one day. But it, he said things that were mysterious, stories that left us hanging. And it caused me to constantly talk to James about it. And Judas even would get in every now and then. We would discuss, like, what does this mean? And we found ourselves participating in his sermons. Brilliant. And we had to discuss them and apply them and work it out together. Frankly, I didn't get most of them. A lot of them were about seed. A farmer sowed seed here. Some grew, some didn't. A farmer sowed seed there, and he went to bed every night and woke up every day, and he didn't have a clue how it was growing, but it was growing. First the blade, then the stalk, and then the grain in the stalk. And then the way of God is like a mustard seed. So small. But once it's planted, it takes over your garden. And and I realized what he's doing with all these seed stories. He's telling us that this is what the way is like. It's not this big show of magic tricks and power and pizzah and follow us. We're so cool. It was rather subtle or some people would use the word subversive. That the way was going to start buried in the ground. And that it would gradually penetrate through the ground coming from the bottom up. And it was going to grow. Well, we got in a boat across the sea of Galilee, the lake. Jesus was exhausted from this conflict. And you're Satan. And no, I'm not Satan. And parables. And he fell asleep. And a great storm arose. The sea was angry. I was never more terrified in my life. The wind would not stop. It ripped the sail right off of our boat. We were officially handicapped. And we were trying our best to row to shore. But everything we did, we just spun in circles. The waves were mastering us. And then they started to come into the boat. And we, I was sure this was the end. We were going to sink. And I sent those that didn't know what they were doing with a boat. They were just kind of in the way, like Judas and other people. And I said, go wake Jesus up. We're dying. And he woke up and he said, what is going on? Peace, be still. And the wind ran out of breath. And the sea was as calm as glass. And my fear did not leave. It was simply relocated from the storm to Jesus. And we said, Who is this? He controls the very thing we can't control. This man is uncontrollable. So we continue on and we experience Jesus feeds 5,000 one time. I was telling Jesus, it's impossible. You can't do it. You can't feed 5,000. We can't go and buy enough food for all these people. And Jesus was not really in the mood to argue. So he just said, go see what you have. And so we did. And I'm telling like, John, like, this is so stupid. I'm hungry. We don't want to give the people whatever we have. I'm going to help them. Five loaves and two fish. Good. Tell the people to sit down. All right. Peter, take this. I'm like, 
It's only going to feed the front row. When I was done, I went back. Jesus gave me more. Cool. We're up to the 10th row. This happened several times. And by the time I passed out what I had to the final row, I looked back and realized, we just fed 5,000 people with that? And I looked at Jesus and I marveled. And I thought, oh, once again and not for the last time, I feel so small. And then we began to travel to Jerusalem and it gets worse. Jesus starts to tell us, I'm going to go die in Jerusalem. Now you have to understand, it wasn't just random. He had just, we were walking along the way and he asked us, hey, um, just kind of curious, who do people say that I am? And we are all this person, that person. Cool. What do you, who do you say that I am? I guess I'm the rock. I better speak up for all these people. You are the Messiah. They have to understand what I meant. I meant you're the one who's going to overthrow Rome. You're the one who's going to be the new Moses. You're going to lead us into freedom, a new exodus. You're the one who's going to raise an army. You're the one who's going to be our sword and shield. That's probably why Jesus didn't say anything in response to that. He just said, don't tell anyone. And I was a little offended. Did I not get the answer right? No applause? I'm your rock. Praise me. And that's when he said, I'm going to die in Jerusalem. And I said, oh, no, you're not. And I looked at all the other disciples and I saw the face, their faces. They're thinking, this, this can't be right. That's not what the Messiah said to do. We're supposed to be freed. War, revolution. And I, I realized what's going on here. I said, this is going awry. The rock must bring us back to stability. So I said, Jesus, Jesus, come on. What? are you talking about you're not gonna die. and i went off and i said we're supposed to get an army we're supposed to raise up all the peasants around here we're supposed to get rid of the aristocracy in jerusalem burn the temple and all the debt documents there and then go to the romans and tell them we want our freedom and we're all this is supposed to happen and when we do it god is going to intervene for us and jesus just mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you done <sighs> yes Get behind me, Satan. You don't understand the way. And he stormed off. And I once again, and not for the last time, felt very small. And we continued. He took us up on a mountain, a private retreat with James and John. Me, James and John. And we felt so cool. We're going out to the Insiders Club. We climb the mountain. He's just striding along. We're huffing and puffing. We finally get up there and we turn around and we look down the ledge and we see the other disciples and we're laughing at how small they are and how, ah, look at them, they're little ants. Do you think we could kick a rock on them? And all these things. And then all of a sudden, behind us, we hear Jesus talking. And I turn around, Jesus, who are you talking to? And I didn't even get to finish saying it because I was so embarrassed. When I turned around, he was wearing white he didn't wear white earlier but it was whiter than any bleach could make a garment and he was talking with moses and elijah and we fell in awe and then james and john were being so awkward i had to say something let's make a tent one for you and you and you And then all of a sudden, a cloud darkened the sun and descended on the mountain, and we were terrified. And a voice said, this is my son. Listen to him. And we looked up. Jesus touched us on the shoulder and said, fear not, and picked us up. We looked around. There was no cloud. What just happened? And I felt so small. And he said, don't tell anyone about this. And we went back down the mountain. And we continued walking towards Jerusalem. And Jesus again said, I'm going to die. And I'll rise again in three days. 
And we didn't have a clue what that meant. And so we continued our conversation that we were carrying on before he randomly blurted that out. And it was about how Judas is better than all of us. And then James challenged him. And John was just being quiet, eating his popsicle. And you know how it goes. And we were all arguing about who's the greatest. And then when we came to our resting stop, Jesus sat down, had a child next to him. He said, come here, guys, come here. What were you talking about along the way? James turned around and watched a bird fly by. John fumbled in his pockets to look busy. Where did I put that? I kicked a rock. And all Jesus said was, if you want to be the greatest, you must be the least. If you want to lead, you've got to serve. And anyone who receives this child receives me and receives the one who sent me, God. And once again, I felt very small. And so we continued on. Continued on the way, and we were getting so close to Jerusalem, you could smell it. You could hear the Psalms of Ascent as the pilgrims began to get thicker, and the road was getting much more crowded, and Psalms were being sung left and right, and the festivities were beginning, and you could feel the fervor of Passover. And Jesus again said, I'm going to die. And James and John pull him aside and say, hey, can you do something for us? And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, we want to have thrones when we do this thing in Jerusalem. We want to rule with you. And I was, I'll be honest. I was furious. I'm the rock. Lightning and thunder, you belong over there. But the rock sits next to the Messiah. And we were all furious. And then Jesus looked at us and looked at me. He said, Peter, guys, over here. Once again, let's try to understand the way. The Gentiles, the unholy, unclean pagans, they ask for thrones. But it shall not be so among you. You are to be servants. And I felt very small. And there's a blind man right before we enter Jerusalem. Bartimaeus, you might know him. He's in the other assembly at the other side of Rome. He was calling out for Jesus. But we were determined. This was time, revolution time, game, face, focus. This guy is a pest. He's distracting us. So I went over. I'm Jesus' rock, right? I'm his bodyguard. Hey, hey. We're far too important here for this. Be quiet. And he kept on shouting. And I'm like, do you know who I am? And then Jesus came over and he asked the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? And then I looked at James and John. Did he not say that to you? And they looked very embarrassed. And the blind man said, I want sight. I want to see. And Jesus healed him. Bartimaeus followed us along the way and became a follower, became a disciple. And I, again, felt very, very small. Well, it was the final week before Jesus dies. We spent the Sabbath resting. Then on Sunday, the next day, we entered into Jerusalem. Jesus asked for a donkey, and he was riding on the donkey. And it was odd because it was not the way that Pontius Pilate rode into Jerusalem on a horse with an army. But we went in, but I was surprised to hear everybody singing psalms to us as we came in. It was almost as if they believed we were going to do it. We were going to start this revolution. Monday comes around. We go into the temple. And Jesus starts overthrowing tables. I'm like, this is it. This is it. The people are going to join him and we're going to take over the temple. And then he stopped and he started teaching. Then Wednesday, um, excuse me, before Wednesday, Tuesday was a very long day. Sometimes it's... Felt like three days. Then the authorities be, uh, that was Monday. See how confused I am? Well, the next day we came back to the temple on Tuesday. And, uh, and the uh, religious leaders know everything that happened. And so they come to him like, who do you think you are? By what name or by what power? By what authority did you do all that yesterday? And Jesus looked at them, smiled. Do you want to play this game? All right, I'll play. If you'll play. The baptism of John. Was that done? Did he do that under God's power or under man's power? 
And I thought, brilliant, brilliant. Because if they say it was done by God's power, they're going to look stupid because they weren't baptized. And if they say by man, the people will hate them because they esteem John as one of the most famous of prophets. Brilliant. Then the religious leaders were rather embarrassed. They turned to walk away. Ugh, we need a better game plan. But before they left, you said, wait a minute, I have a story. A man built a vineyard. He dug it up. He built a fence around it. He planted the seed. He watched it grow. He dug a wine press for it. And then he went off into a far country and lent out the vineyard to tenants. Now the time came to, to gather in its fruit. And so he sent a servant to gather in its fruit. But the tenants were wicked. And they said, we're not going to give this man his fruit. So they took the servant, beat him up, and sent him home. This happened several times. And then the owner of the vineyard decided... Well, surely they'll respect my son. So he sent his son to gather the fruits of the vineyard. And when the tenants saw the son coming, they thought, Aha, the owner is dead. The son is coming to claim his inheritance. So they took the son. They killed him. They threw his body over the wall. And then he looked right at the religious leaders for a long minute. So that they would sense the gravity of what he's saying. What do you think the owner will do to those tenants? He will cast them out. And then he waved his hand at the people around him, the commoners, the crowd, the people. And he will give the vineyard to others. And I learned the religious leaders were the tenants. Well, they were angry. They didn't show up to Jesus anymore. They sent their little disciples and minions to go talk to him. So one group came up and said, hey, yo, Jesus. They were the Pharisees and the Herodians. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? The whole crowd was wanting to know the same thing. Now, this was, this was tricky. They were trying to get Jesus to choose a side. They were trying to label him, to pigeonhole him. Which side are you on? They wanted to divide the crowd against him. See, for some, like the, the Pharisees didn't believe in paying taxes to Caesar, but the Herodians did. They were all for that because they liked the prosperity Rome gave them. And Jesus walked around the crowd for a minute. And then looked at his questioners and said, Do you have a denarius? Fumbled around in their pockets. Here's one. And Jesus held it up long enough so everyone got what just happened. The questioners are hypocrites. They are holding the very coin that they ought not to be holding. And they soon realized their embarrassment and wouldn't even look at Jesus. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. Whose image is on this and what inscription? That's right. Caesar's face. And there it says right under it, the son of God. It's pretty blasphemous for you to be carrying around, is it not? He flips it back to them and says, Give to Caesar what belongs to him, and give to God what belongs to God. Brilliant. <laughs> Everything belongs to God. <laughs> Even Caesar. And then the Sadducees came up and said, Hey, um, they don't believe in a resurrection like we do. That's why we're here. We're celebrating it. Hey, so, okay. Jesus stupid doctrine you hold um this man married a woman and he died before he had children so like the law says the woman was passed on to his brother but he died too before a child was born so the woman went to the next brother and this happened seven times and i was thinking what are they cooking what is she cooking and jesus smiled and laughed with them like yeah, that's good that's so ridiculous isn't it and they're like, so what do you say to that? <laughs> you don't even know the scriptures or the power of God. For don't you know that in the resurrection, no one will marry or be given in marriage, for they will be like the angels in heaven. They will not die. Why would you need to keep on passing a woman on from man to man? If you're not going to die, you're speaking about a law that's made for this present age. 
I'm talking about a new age where God's power transforms things. Speaking about the scriptures that you don't know, don't you understand when God told Moses, I am the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he was talking about dead people, but he said, I am their God. He can't be the God of the dead, but of the living. Therefore, they're somehow living right now. There is a resurrection. You are quite wrong in this matter. And then a man came up, and he was not accusing Jesus, but he was really wanting to know. So he said, Jesus, what is the greatest law? I've heard everything you're saying, and you seem to understand it. You seem to get it. What does God require of us? And Jesus said, Deuteronomy 6, 4. You shall love the Lord your God with everything you have, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And the questioner said, I knew you got it. I knew you saw God the way I do. I knew it. There was something about you that looked like God. I agree. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are not far from the kingdom, my friend. And I learned there that this is what he requires of us. That we should love God with all we have and to love others just as equally. Things got weird from there. Wednesday, Judas was mysteriously absent all day. I asked around, but nobody really seemed to know. Then Thursday, things became clearer. We were at table. It was dinner time. And Jesus said, someone's going to betray me tonight. And that started a conversation. Once we all shut up and settled down, stopped wondering who it is and accusing each other. I know it's you. You're the weakest of us all. You know how arguments go. I kept my mouth shut, of course. But Jesus assured us it's going to happen. And then, and then things got real sober. He took the bread we were eating and he ripped it and said, this is what's going to happen to me. And he took the wine and he poured it out for us and said, this is going to be poured out from my body. And we were thinking, no. And then he said, eat it in remembrance of me. What does that even mean? But all of us were too scared to ask. And then we sung a song, rather in a melancholy way. <laughs> I think he was trying to cheer us up, but we weren't. And we walked towards the Garden of Gethsemane, our favorite hangout spot, where we were encamped. And Jesus said, Tonight, you will all betray your courage and you'll run away. They all look discouraged. This can't be. I'm the cheerleader. So, to my everlasting shame, I made a promise I couldn't keep. We have to understand, I was trying to rile these guys up. And so I was trying to lead the way and say, I won't do it. Never. John will for sure. I don't even know where Judas is. He's definitely in on it. I will never, I, I will die before I deny. And Jesus said, Peter, Peter. And I've never seen him more sad in my life. You will deny me. Three times before the rooster crows twice. I'm your rock. I will not. And he wasn't in the mood with arguing with me because I usually kept arguing until I felt small. So we went off to pray. And Jesus said, hey, please stay awake. Pray and watch. And so I'm like, okay, guys, let's do this. Let's pray. Next thing I know, Jesus is kicking me in the ribs while nudging. Simon, Simon, why are you sleeping? And I got up and I was so embarrassed. I led them all to sleep in a prayer meeting. Some rock I am. I'm so sorry. I won't do it again. And so, okay, guys, come on. Let's get our act together. Jesus needs us right now. He looks as pale as death. Look at him. He's over there praying and he's desperate. He's sweating through his shirt. So... And then again, I'm being nudged in the ribs. 
Simon, why are you sleeping? And I was so hurt. He didn't call me rock. He called me Simon. I failed him. And then he said, never mind, it's too late. And then we all looked and we saw, Judas, who's behind you? And an entourage of temple soldiers behind him. And while our blood boiled up, we said, oh, we knew it. I knew I shouldn't have trusted his absence on Wednesday. And I reached for my sword and I was ready. Now I hear Mark is going to be very nice in his gospel. And he's not going to include my name, but I'm just letting you know it was me. I reached for my sword. And the soldiers encircle us. And this is it. The revolution starts now. Judas comes forward, kisses Jesus, and the soldiers close in, and I swing. I don't even know what happened. I was just swinging aimlessly, madly, with all the passion I have. And then I stopped. Because I realized no one's fighting with me. And Jesus accused his arresters and said, I was with you every day in the temple and you come to me as armed men with swords. Well, who do you think I am? A revolutionary leader that's going to start a violent war? And I was thinking, no. (laughs) And then we bolted. Thomas was first, then James, then Philip. And then I said, I'm out of here too. And we all ran. And as I watched him leave, I felt very, very small again. And when they got far enough, I turned around and, okay, I'm going to follow my distance. Peter, you can do it. You're the rock. You're the rock. I can do this. It's within me. I'm the rock. I will stand up and at the right moment, I will lop off the heads of these arresters and I will free Jesus and we'll run out of here. I can do it. So I kept falling at a safe distance and I kept watching. And then, oh no, they're going to the high priest's house. Oh, they shut the door. Oh, okay, I'll wait till they come out. So I go into the courtyard. And there's a fire there, and I'm kind of awkwardly standing around, like, who's this guy? He's not even dressed like a servant. He looks like a peasant. And yeah, I totally didn't fit in in that scenario. So I'm like, oh, do something. Warm myself by the fire. <laughs> We're all doing something here. And one of the servants points me out and says, hey, you were with him. Hmm? Mm, who? And then she started to tell everybody else around the fire, hey, he told he was with Jesus. I saw it with Jesus. I said, woman, I don't know what you're talking about. And then the others that she told began to see the same thing. And they said, yes, you're even a Galilean. Your accent betrays you. Your dress definitely betrays you. And then I said things I should not repeat and said, I do not know this man. And the words echoed as if the dark night reached for them and absorbed them and pulled them out and spread them around the world. They echoed off the courtyard. They rattled in my heart and they made me feel sick. And all of a sudden, it's as if the night took it to the rooster itself and the rooster heard and responded. And then I knew. I am no rock. And I crumbled in that moment. The rock became sand. My heart was rent in two. My eyes swelled with burning tears. I could not even see. My head began to spin. My feet staggered and I desperately groped to get somewhere and I began to sob and I couldn't even control it. I felt like vomiting. It was horrible. My whole world was coming unglued with those words. I do not know him. And everything was coming apart. And it's as if my tears were becoming a flood, a raging sea, a flood. And as I collapsed down In the room where we were staying, I collapsed and I just wept and I bawled like a baby. And the tears continued to just overwhelm me and surround me. And it felt as though I was on the sea again in that boat. And the storm was raging against me. And it was out of control and the wind was blowing and I was terrified 
And I kept on in my, in my weeping, mourning and wishing that Jesus would appear on the boat like he did in the past and say, peace, be still, Peter, it's okay, it's okay, I understand. But he never did come, he never did say peace. All that kept ringing in my head was his words, where is your faith? Why were you so afraid? And I kept wishing desperately to hear him come again and say, Peter, follow me. Kept desperately trying to hear his words, but all I kept hearing was, get behind me, Satan. And I began to wonder, am I like Judas? Am I Judas? Oh my gosh, I'm Judas. I am Satan. I am against Jesus. And these words kept ringing through my head, and I was just desperate to hear Jesus' voice again, to hear anything And the worst part of all was that they were crucifying him and I never got to tell him, please forgive me. I'm forever doomed to be a failure. Wishing that death would take me, but instead death was taking him. And then I heard his voice playing over and over in my head. Simon, 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 why are you sleeping and not praying? And that kept on playing over in my head until finally I realized somebody's really saying this. Simon, why are you sleeping? I opened my eye. Where am I? Is this a bad dream? And it was Mary. Simon, why are you sleeping? Get up. I went to the tomb and he was not there. And I'm trying to orient myself. What just, wait, I denied Jesus. What happened? Did they crucify him? How many days have I been like this? What? Yeah, he's alive. And the angel at the tomb told me, go and tell the disciples and Peter. He specified that I go tell you, Peter. And now I can see why. You're a mess. What happened to you? Go and tell Peter. Tell Peter that he's alive and he's going ahead of them to Galilee. And it took me a long time, but the words finally registered. He's alive. Tell Peter. Tell Rock. Not Simon. Rock. Galilee. Mary, this is great news. Galilee. And so we fled our way up to Galilee and we, we hiked, we booked it up there. Galilee, do you understand why he's calling us to Galilee and why we rushed up there and why this is such good news to me? Galilee was where he called me to follow him. He was telling me, you failed to follow me miserably, but I'm going to call you again. That's what I remember of Jesus. It could have been a disaster. The last thing I said was, I don't know him. And then he dies and I die, never knowing if I'm forgiven. But in Galilee, he said, Peter, you want to follow me? And I wept like a baby and I said, yes. And as I look back 30 years ago at all of that, I'm now older, a little bit wiser. At least I don't talk as much. And I know that Nero's going to kill me soon. It's just inevitable. 
This is what I want us to remember about that day he rose. This is what I've learned and how it's changed my life. First, sometimes we fall so that Jesus can raise us up by the same power that rose him up from the dead. I fell. The rock became sand. But when he picked me back up with the same resurrection power, I have finally lived up to my name. You see, this leads to my second learned lesson. The rock was never me. The rock was the spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead within me. And Jesus saw that in me long before I ever saw it. And now, my dear flock, my time is near. I look at the fruit in the city of Rome, and I realize that all of this is not me. I failed. But it's he who becomes the rock in and through us. Let's trust him in these hard times. Let's not let our fear cause us to do what I did and deny him. He will be our rock as we stand up to our accusers and our arresters in the auditorium, in the amphitheater, in the coliseum, in trial, at the burning stake, under the guillotine. He is our rock, and let us throw our lives upon him. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Peace be with you.